this is Sandy Vartharaja, co-host of The Pulse Podcast. In this episode, I sat with Kate Ryder, founder and CEO of Maven Clinic, which is the largest telemedicine provider for women's and family health. Over the last year alone, Maven has tripled the number of organizations it serves and expanded to MassHealth, which is Massachusetts State Medicaid and CHIP program. Maven has raised $90 million as of this February from investors like Sequoia, Oak HCFT, Female Founders Fund, Ann Wojcicki, Reese Witherspoon, and Mindy Kaling. With women bearing the brunt of childcare, family life, and other stressors in the pandemic, Kate and I discussed what the future of maternity care could look like post-COVID-19 for working moms and underserved populations alike. Kate, thank you so much for joining the Pulse podcast today. Thank you so um, much for having me. Thought we could start with a little fun topic around quarantine hobbies. Any new productivity tips and tricks or hobbies that you've picked up during this weird, ambiguous period? I think one of the big ones, which is kind of funny, is that I, I'm actually exercising a little bit. <laughs> when you're always on the go and I have two young kids, I exercise, stopped exercising years ago, but I am back and I've gone running and it's feeling kind of good because I have a lot more time. Yeah. And I imagine in New York City with all the streets pretty empty right now, it, there's a lot more latitude for you as a runner to take on new routes and stuff. Well, I actually fled New York City uh, and I am living at my parents' house in Connecticut. So I am running around cul-de-sacs in Connecticut. Love it. So your kids are also at the house right now. How is that managing two generations on top of being an entrepreneur yourself? It's pretty crazy uh, because there's also two dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, I think, you know, one of the big reasons we're here is my parents are just a huge help with the kids. And so feeling very grateful for that. And the kids have a huge backyard. I think it's a little weird in New York. You know, my kids are three and two to not be able to go to a playground, given that that was so much of their life. We have a playground right around the corner from our place in Brooklyn. And so, you know, I think having two happy, oblivious kids makes uh, my mental health a lot better than if my kids had any idea what was going on. You know, it'd be great if we could get some guest stars on our episode today but probably a little helpful to you to have some extra hands on your Oh no, I don't like guest stars anymore. It was kind of the <laughs> first few weeks, but I'm done with that. We might have a visitor. Hey. Hi. Would you like to say hi? How's All right. it going? Can I, can I finish my call, please? No, no. <laughs> no, no, it's really important. Sorry, one second. No, it's okay, it's okay. Yeah, now the two-year-old, of course, wants to follow her brother upstairs. But um, (laughs) I always joke with my dad that it's come full circle. Apparently, when I was five years old, living in this house that I am in right now, I asked, I told him that I wanted to start a restaurant and I wanted him, and I'm like a little five-year-old on a swing set apparently, but I I wanted him to build me a restaurant so I could run the restaurant. And so maybe I really did want to be an entrepreneur um, in the very early days, but in college, undergrad, and then I I went to grad school, it was actually always about journalism. And so it was only after I I realized the media industry had changed so much, I wasn't going to be writing long form, you know, narrative journalism and, and getting paid really well for it that I started to think about entrepreneurship again. I spent a good seven, eight years of my time after college as a journalist. And I know you've worked for publications like The Economist and The New Yorker. What were some of the things you reported on and how do you feel like the 
skills you built in that career path have helped you as an entrepreneur? So my reporting career actually started after I helped Hank Paulson write his memoirs about the financial crisis in, in 2008, 2009. And so really, I, I wrote a lot about business and science. I started writing articles for the finance section of The Economist, ended up covering Southeast Asian business from Singapore, writing for The Economist and Fortune. And uh, I covered arts for The Wall Street Journal, varied reporting, a lot of different kinds of stories. I occasionally wrote science articles for The Economist for some of my favorite ones to cover. And then ultimately ended up trying to start my first business off the back of one of the articles I was writing, which was about the online travel business in China. And uh, eventually made my way back to London and worked in venture capital for a bit. And, and that's really where Maven was born. I think one of the great things you must have learned as a journalist is the power of storytelling, not only from a fundraising perspective, but just thinking about how you want to build your company and who are your users and what are the pain points you're trying to solve for. Can you walk through the genesis of Maven a little bit and how those skills kind of tied in? Yeah, I think every entrepreneur brings hopefully a certain spike in a skill set. So if you're an engineer, obviously you're really building your first product. I was not an engineer, but I was certainly crafting the story and the vision. And so with, with Maven, I mean, one of the big, you know, I, I think I, I also, by the way, when I was starting Maven, had always had my kind of business journalist hat on as well. So it was very much looking for not only something I was personally passionate about, but was a, a great business opportunity and a great business story. And so I, I think women's health and, and really reshaping the category fit all of, you know, checked every box and then some for me. I personally was always nervous about having kids because I saw so many women fall off the career path after having kids. And so I, I knew I wanted to have kids, but I, I was a little bit unclear about how it would all work. And then I was covering digital health and venture capital and I, I turned 30 and that's kind of the decade I, I knew I was going to probably do it. And a bunch of my friends were starting to have kids. It also, I realized, wow, well, this fear of mine and this anxiety of mine and, and this whole kind of all the support that I'm observing my friends not getting when they're starting families and is, is actually could be a big business opportunity to change. And so that um, because women drive 80% of healthcare decisions in the U.S., and they disproportionately control the spend. And we are in a shift from a fee-for-service to a value-based system where the healthcare consumer matters. And so wouldn't it be great to start to build a more equitable model for women and families in healthcare while creating a huge business in the same, you know, in the process? Kind of like you need to do that to be able to drive the change in healthcare. So saw an incredible opportunity to, to do that and, and then went on a listening tour for many months both to both providers as well as women and families and parents to understand what main problems were and how technology could help solve them. And so that's really where Maven was born. I'm curious your take on now with coronavirus and the pandemic hitting, and we talked a little bit about the beginning around how working parents are having to balance responsibilities between themselves and unfortunately how women are often taking the brunt of that work, whether it's paying attention to them more at home or cooking them meals or making sure they're doing their homework or schoolwork. How are you seeing your users impacted during this really chaotic time? Mental health. I mean, we have seen 300 
100% spike in mental health usage on Maven since coronavirus hit. What I think we're seeing both if you're pregnant or thinking about starting a family, it's a very anxiety inducing time. I mean, I think we're now starting to see studies around if you get COVID while you're pregnant or you're trying to have a baby and you're going through fertility treatments, what it will do to you. But particularly the early months, there was just not enough data to actually you know, have a, a good answer. And it was really just kind of like you're a high risk group, watch out and, and stay safe. Now I think we're starting to see data that it, it's not transmitted from mother to, to baby in utero, but that COVID does disproportionately kind of affect the placenta. And so there's an increased uh, risk of preterm birth. And so again, it's just as a woman, you're, you're pregnant, you're already uncomfortable and probably, you know, anxious about what's coming next. And then to have this added anxiety, there's just a lot of mental health. And then on the parenting front, particularly for parents of, of young kids, yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing a lot of just exhausted members who might starting to be suffering from depression. You know, I was talking to one of our therapists a few weeks ago, just about what some of the patients he was seeing. And, and some of the trends he was seeing. And basically he said, can you imagine if you started COVID and you had a, a predisposition to anxiety and depression? Well, being locked in your house just bakes it. Those people who are already at risk are really at risk, if not you know, su- really suffering right now. And add on to that the layer of, I mean, every week there's a new statistic with folks filing for unemployment, perhaps needing to get onto COBRA insurance or losing their insurance altogether. How is that impacting your business? Yeah, I mean, I I think from a business impact side, we're seeing two trends at the same time. We're seeing growth as well as distressed industries. So from the industries that are not distressed, they're prioritizing their employees. They're looking for benefits with telemedicine, you know, Maven has the largest telemedicine network in women's and family health. So we're seeing an acceleration of business on that side of the the fence. But then for distressed industries, you know, those industries obviously are furloughing employees and laying off employees and in a lot of financial difficulties. And so they're not really investing in anything right now. They're trying to kind of stay alive. It's almost night and day when you're on two different phone calls. And it's like, you're talking about to two different people in two different economies. It's remarkable how you've been able to pivot the business to serve multiple consumer segments under multiple different business models. Just a lot of excitement behind Maven Clinic right now. What is your take on utilization of telemedicine skyrocketing now? So before the pandemic, we were used to seeing figures like low single digits of telemedicine utilization for people that had access to it. And now suddenly we're seeing you know, upper tens, even much more depending on the specialty. Do you think that this trend is here to stay? Yes, very much so. But I, I do think that one of the biggest reasons that it, it never really took off is that it was very transactional before COVID. And, and in many ways still some visits are, but it was really telemedicine was was really only used to get that quick prescription or get a quick answer. But that patient provider relationship was not built. So as a result, there, there was just no reason other than an emergency to, to really use it all that much if you even remembered that you had access to telemedicine. With our model, because we're managing a pregnancy or a IVF process or early years of parenting, we have care teams that members get. So you actually are seeing the same provider over the course of, in some cases, years. And so you're building that relationship, whether it's virtual or messaging. I mean, I, I personally have two pediatricians I talk to on Maven know my kids at this point. And that just feels like a much richer experience. And I, I think in general, I, I hope that we're able to see some of the trends 
trend shift to telemedicine being embedded more into the core workflow of a provider that you know and that you're seeing on a repeat basis rather than one-off. That's great that patients are using it less about solving a very niche care gap or in the moment just needing someone at 2 a.m. in the middle of the night towards now actually building relationships virtually. Because I think that is a stronger anchor to nudging care, which will ultimately bend the cost curve, right, and improve quality. What feedback are you hearing on the provider side? Do your do the people in your network like the increase in telemedicine? Do they feel burnt out? Yeah, they they actually love it. Providers, I've been talking to a lot of not just providers on Maven, but just providers in general. And I think there's a lot of surprise among even cardiologists or ophthalmologists that are talking to patients virtually that never never were doing that before, how much they can actually solve through a virtual visit and how it's so much more efficient for patients and providers to, to do that, to really only identify patients who need to come in and then have them come in. I think on Maven as well, I mean, well, we've always seen this though. I mean, we work with a provider population that a lot of them are moms themselves. So 98% of our providers are women and they they are typically working part-time in a clinic and then they have time the rest of the week that they're giving to Maven. So they love it because they can you know, manage their personal life and they can be with their kids and then they can still see patients because there are provider shortages in OB care and internal mental health for sure. And so they're able to, you know, continue to, to see patients, but on their own terms and on their own time. They're not filing paperwork and spending 20 minutes in an EMR before every visit and after every visit and only 10 minutes with the patient. And so it's really um, a much more seamless experience. And so with the providers themselves, I mean, I think with, with Maven, we've always seen that they've, they've really liked it. And then one of the coolest things as well is when COVID hit, just all of the new provider applications that we got, because so many providers just wanted to step up and help, whether it's in person or via telemedicine. Can you share a figure on provider side growth on the platform? March through April. I mean, we, we, we vet everyone, so we only accept a certain amount, um, but we accepted 10x the amount of we normally do in wow. a month to and and they were but they were really good we rolled out with a medicaid plan called mass health and so we needed a lot more massachusetts licensed physicians as well so that was part of a big push but in general we uh yeah we we've just seen a ton of volume there Quickly for the audience, can you walk through the problem that Maven Clinic is trying to solve? Sure. So we're trying to build a more equitable and inclusive system for women and families by filling the gaps in care along the family planning, family support, and early parenting process. So we have um, digital programs for IVF, egg freezing, adoption, surrogacy, pregnancy, partners, postpartum, return to work, and pediatrics. And we sell those programs to employers and health plans. It's been really cool to see this necessary explosion of growth with the company. I know that Maven several years ago started as a direct-to-consumer business and then shifted into the employer business, which really set the company on this crazy growth curve. And now with coronavirus, you're starting to go back into the consumer business a little bit. And as you mentioned, partnering with MassHealth, which is their state Medicaid plan. So how has expanding you know, the channels through which you access patients impacted how you think about marketing, product roadmaps, operations, like even thinking about processing 10x applications for credentialing sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> so how, how has your team approached those problems? amazing team. And I think the team, what really unites the Maven culture is everyone's mission driven. And so I, I was so proud 
of, you know, we, we launched Mass Health in like a week and a half or something. And really everyone was working so hard. It was, it was awesome. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that the path to scale in healthcare, it's never one, there's never one right way to do it. For, and I think a lot of different digital health companies have, have had a lot of different paths. For us, I think because of women's health as kind of perception of women's health as a niche category, at least when we started, we had to take the path where we launched to the consumer market. We always knew that we had to go B2B because that's really where the scale was. I mean, I had worked in venture capital for two years, so saw that trend for the early digital health companies. But to get the momentum to raise money, I didn't I, I didn't have access to $30 million to go raise. We had to kind of take that incremental approach. So we launched the consumer product. We showed the momentum on the telehealth platform. We said, okay, now we need to take this and leverage this into our pregnancy program. That was our flagship product. I mean, we sold our first pregnancy program six months after we launched. So it was actually show the momentum post-launch to raise the money to then go and launch the pregnancy programs. So I, I think it's just been important to be incremental. Um, one of my friends runs the company PillPack. I think probably a lot of people know they had a great exit to Amazon, but really his mission is to completely disrupt drug industry and, and make medication prices a lot more transparent and, and easier to take and adhere to medication protocols. With TJ as well, I mean, he had a similar story where he had to, he launched PillPack to the consumer market to just show the market and investors that there was a, a real business here and that consumers loved it and he wanted to show the product and the design and whatnot. And then he started signing the deals to go through the health plans and the PBMs and whatnot. And so so he had a very similar kind of experience where he raised the money off the back of building a great consumer product, but then knew he needed to get into kind of some of the bigger distribution channels. Mm. It seems like the self-insured employer market is becoming more and more, I hate to say the word saturated. There are so much untapped opportunity, but it feels like a lot of knee-jerk reactions by entrepreneurs that are just starting businesses now is like, oh, well, we can't sell into the health plan or the hospital. Let's go after employers. So are you seeing HR buyers feeling more overwhelmed by the number of options claiming to reduce costs and help them analyze utilization management and things like that? Yeah. I mean, they call it death by a thousand point solutions. We're lucky. We created this category. So it was very difficult in the early days because they didn't know where to place it. But now that people are, there's actually RFPs for, you know, maternity benefits or fertility benefits or, you know, family benefits were always included. We're okay. But I remember those early days of walking around the benefits conferences. This was like in 2016, feeling so overwhelmed. And, you know, I, we didn't have enough money to have a booth. And I was just like going to as many sessions as possible and couldn't believe how many companies there were. And, and there, but there was a never anything in our category. So I think that always kept us going. Is there a flagship client that you think really helped you build credibility in that space? Oh, 100%. I can't say their name, but yes, we've been working with this client since 2017. It's Fortune 50 client and they're incredible. And they have been, you know, not, not only do they take the risk on us, but they're, they've been championing us ever since. That's awesome. I feel like with that, you know, that champion to take around and, you know, show other buyers that there are people that believe in the mission and believe in the product that makes all the difference. Um, I think yeah, healthcare totally. is a really relationship and word of mouth driven business, as funny as it is, since the market has exploded with digital health solutions. So but good to have those early relationships under yep, your belt. Exactly. You know, we see stats about elective procedures plummeting at hospitals, including OB-GYN services. Although, you know, if you're going into labor, that's not exactly, you know, avoidable. As you see that in-person volume plummeting, what exactly is the company doing around its employer offering for a targeted COVID-19 maternity 
product? So we, we found that when somebody buys Maven, they typically go through a big strategic review of their benefits and they want to, you know, it's a big decision, right? They, they sign a three-year contract and, or a five-year contract. And, and so it, it takes a lot of time. So what we did was wanting to get our product into the hands as many people as possible right now, we, we're offering a six-month COVID product where someone can just implement us really fast to have us for six months. I mean, it's the best try before you buy possible because we don't mm-hmm. often, you know, we don't do pilots. And it's just to kind of say, hey, here's a way to kind of bridge, you know, your your higher risk populations through the end of the year as you figure out what you want to do. Because, you know, particularly for pregnant women and new parents, I mean, there's massive, massive disruptions to care right now. Love that you're offering not quite a pilot, but a way for employers to test it out because, you know, once they see the secret sauce, it'll be hard to rip that out of their infrastructure at the end of the year. So shifting to the Mass Health Partnership, I think this is so cool because, you know, Medicaid populations are oftentimes the ones suffering from really high maternal mortality rates, just like significant unmet need. So I think it's really cool you're leveraging your platform for that. Um, why now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that one of the biggest things that the crisis has exposed is the deep inequalities in the country and how much how many underserved, you know, how much underserved communities are bearing the brunt of a lot of the economic dislocation. And Mass Health is a, is a perfect example of that. And so we were, we were thrilled to be able to partner with them. And, you know, some of the other, not only employers that we partner with, but uh, health plans to help, under, you know, the more underserved members. And, and telemedicine is a great, efficient, low-cost way to, to really um, get in there and help. And what's really exciting is, you know, even if, for instance, some of these um, programs and platforms start with just physicians or medical providers that they're, they're quickly looking at, oh, wow, but you have so many other types of providers. We can expand our care model to even you know, better support this population. And are you finding that, again, the channels to access those populations are different than your quote unquote core business? No, I mean, I, I think our business is always about leveraging partners to get Maven into the hands of consumers. And so whether the partner is an employer or whether the partner is a health plan, really, it's just about you know, getting Maven into the hands of as many people as possible for free. You know, you offer a really broad set of services focused on the fertility years, but I'm curious, you know, at the beginning, we were talking about how women make 80% of the healthcare decisions in a household, and that carries on even far beyond the fertility years. Any plans to move downstream to midlife women's health at some point? Yeah, I, I, you know, we're just following our, our member right now. So the parenting and pediatrics product that we're launching, you know, later this year follows up through age five. And then we have lots of requests all the time. And so I think we're just, we have a lot of clients. And so we're just making sure that the clients are aligned and it's something they want and the members are asking for it, but everyone's asked for everything. (laughs) There's no dearth of need. You know, I I think it's just whatever makes the most sense strategically with, with the clients as well. You raise a good point about how you know, the tension that exists for digital health companies on building for your customers versus building for your users, and then the customers will come naturally. 
How has how have you seen that play out over time with Maven Clinic? So yeah, we're pretty clear to our partners that we build for members because I think also if you're a buyer, like you you want to buy something that's great for your members. You're not buying for yourself, you're buying for your members. We have always been a really user-centric company. And I think what benefits our employer partners, which they're delighted about, is utilization and engagement. I mean, they struggle so much with benefit programs that they work so hard to implement and then no one uses it and no one likes it. Like I think with our partners, when when people say thank you for rolling this out, it's great. Like that's the best gift that we could give them. And they've told us that. Can't talk about culture right now during these times without talking about leading through uncertainty. As a leader, are you juggling motivating your team members, but also understanding that they may be less productive these days? How how has the transition to working remotely been for Maven Clinic as a whole? You know, it's been okay. I've been surprised at how okay it's been. I wouldn't say that I'm particularly thrilled about the setup. I'm a massive extrovert and I miss walking around and seeing the team. We've been productive and we've been fine. And we've onboarded a lot of new team members in this remote environment, weirdly that I haven't met before. But again, that's a certain amount of time on video with someone and it probably won't seem weird when I eventually meet. And so it's it's been fine. I think that one of the things that we're gonna talk about as an exec team is this prolonged work from home environment because a lot of the communications and plans that we made assumed that we would be here for some time, but not through the rest of the year. I, I don't, I, I can't imagine, you know, I think in March, no one knew we were going to be here for the rest of the year. So I, I think it's now how to, how to continue the momentum and, and to retain culture with work from home. Like, you know, for instance, we had this email series that I love that each uh, a team member will share something every morning and they get kind of the, the pedestal, so to speak. And it's like, it's almost like journaling. It's sharing what they're going through, their silver linings, their hopes, their fears, sometimes bad things that have happened to them recently. And it's really, I think, built a lot of a camaraderie among everyone that we're all in this together. And we're learning things about team members that we might not have learned, which has been wonderful. But at a certain point, we're not going to do that eight months in. <laughs> kind of we're shifting from, okay, we're going to evaluate when it gets to the summer to see what our new policies and what our new strategies are. And now that it's, you know, the summer is upon us, I think it's now evaluating what is work from home culture going to be like for the rest of the year. For students as well, I feel so badly, particularly for business school students. Yeah, it's certainly not as fun as it usually is. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've found some ways to virtualize, have had some cocktails in the park situation kind of thing. But yeah, I think one thing to your point is I feel like a lot of the iteration, you know, organic relationship building happens through those water cooler conversations. You catch someone in the hallway, you say, Hey, let's grab coffee. And that turns into something more meaningful downstream. Totally spitballing here, but what's your advice to other leaders that are going through the current situation on on, on virtualizing those water cooler interactions? I think it, you, you have to be deliberate about it because they're not going to happen spontaneously. So coming up with whether it's a work from home email series or virtual happy hours or meditations or virtual lunches um, that are, are planned is pretty much kind of the name of the game now. What are some other benefits you're offering to your employees as they transition to remote? Um, you mentioned mental health is something you're thinking about for your consumers. Is that, how are you thinking about that for your employees? Yeah. So everyone at Maven gets access to Maven, obviously. Yeah. 
they get a bunch of credit and it's really, I mean, it's $700 to start, but if people need top-ups, we're offering kind of element of top-ups. And then we've also launched two mental health benefits at Maven. We launched, so we wanted, you know, so we, we've really tried to offer a lot on the services side. When we first went to work from home, we, you know, gave everyone a day off to set up their office environment. And, and so, you know, I think we're also trying to encourage people like take vacation, take time, you know, particularly for parents with different schedules, just set your schedule as you want to set your schedule. So, so difficult is because we really just do have a great team. And so um, we're about 125 people. And really, like I, you know, even the even the newest person who joined last week, I, I think we're so uh, we're so thrilled to have them on the team. And, and we and we really have, um, you know, people who are who are really, you know, working, like we've had to tell some people like take a day off, don't work so hard because people are really just pushing it right now and in a good way. I think everyone's inspired by what we can do as a company in healthcare right now and, and have impact during this terrible time. Let's shift to some more personal journey stories. I'm really curious as obviously a fellow woman with entrepreneurial interests, your story and founding a company, fundraising as a female founder, while also balancing being a wife, being a mom of two, how do you do it all? And I'm sure you get this question often, but any secret tips to share? Let's see. I have, I, I mean, honestly, the secret tips are marry the right guy. <laughs> My husband's wonderfully patient and supportive, you know, that it takes a village to, to raise a family. And my parents are very involved in my kids' lives. I mean, even outside of COVID, as is my sister and brother-in-law. I mean, even my brother who lives in Burlington is, is around a certain amount. And then our close friends. It, it's just because we were, you know, particularly in our group in, in New York, I wasn't the first to have kids. I was actually in, in some ways the last to have kids out of my group of friends when, from when I was younger. But in my group of friends in New York, I was one of the first. And so my, our friends have always been amazing and kind of being patient and coming over to our house for dinner so we don't have to go out and get babysitters. So really it's um, having a wonderful community to support on the on the personal side i don't need more than six or seven hours of sleep i think it would be a lot oh my God. to do all of this if i needed more sleep well i will say as the friend of someone who had a baby recently it's really fun to orient your social activities now around the baby i think that's really fun in all seriousness um i i feel that you know you see the stats around female venture capitalists women founders it's really hard as a woman to take on risk because you're also bearing the brunt of raising the family oftentimes. What was that experience like? Like, what was the conversation when you jumped from VC to then starting a company that was in largely white space? I had never, you know, working at The Economist or working for Hank Paulson or, or working in VC. Maybe I had experienced sexism, but maybe I was oblivious to it. I, I personally didn't feel like I, I really had. I knew there was clearly gender leadership gaps at the top, but I, I personally hadn't felt it. When I started my own business, I was shocked at the way that some VCs treated me as a founder and, and the pitch. And I, I mean, it was like eye-opening that with our business, which you know, is in the biggest industry in the U.S., which serves an underserved need and community, which has the, the largest spend of this big industry. And there's all these interesting trends in digital health and there's all these other companies starting. I, I was kind of, I just couldn't believe that 
people didn't get it and see this idea and see the see this industry and that weren't really taking me seriously either. I mean, I think when someone first used the word cute in a meeting, I was like, oh my God, I've never, never really, no one really ever calls me cute. What? You know, um, and, and any, like I, I, when I reported at The Economist, I was interviewing CEOs and, and policymakers and, you know, I, I just, maybe because I had The Economist brand behind me, I just, I never got treated that way. You know, it was a massive shift. What really makes me so excited is continuing to grow Maven into a really big company because I look back at some of them and at this point, Maven's way out of their league. Snapping my fingers over here. I think the other thing besides this, the, you know, jumping away from kind of storied brands and having them behind me as a woman in business to creating my own brand and then feeling the sexism for the first time. And even telling my, you know, my, my conservative father, who is the biggest feminist in the world, but he always, you know, you've got to play the game. And so I think he was even kind of shocked at some of the, the stories that I was bringing home about things that were being said. Growing Maven is, is the best, is the best revenge, right? When I had kids, just the questions that I would get asked and the questions my husband would get asked were very different. You know, when my husband had kids and he was a new parent at work, there was just no one ever assumed that he was doing things for the family. Whereas I think there was always an assumption for mothers that, oh, well, you have to, you know, get home to take care of your kids or, or you have to do that. So I, I think that surprised me a little bit as well. I mean, even on panels with founders, you know, the male founders never get asked about home life. The female founders always do. Stories I've heard during quarantine are that, you know, men will comment, finally, for the first time ever, they're able to sit at home for dinner. Offhanded comments, is that really the responsibility we're aspiring for them to have? Do you not realize that a lot of parents are, are doing more behind the scenes and it's not so gendered? I'm hopeful that when we emerge from the pandemic, people will have a renewed appreciation for all the work that goes behind the scenes in maintaining family life. I mean, listen, I think women are heroes. I mean, I, I, my friends, my mother, I mean, I, you know, my husband would sit here and say, I do more. <laughs> particularly when, when kids are young. I mean, they, they, my kids at least want their mom a lot, particularly for women during this time to remain focused on your career while so much is taking place in your personal life. It's Having a, a great support network of female friends really gotten me through. We have group texts and whatnot where sometimes we're just bitching about yeah. things with each other, which is cathartic. <laughs> but but ultimately, they're some of my heroes, and they're so strong. And I think uh, women are are bearing the brunt of a lot of, of what's going on in COVID. I mean not even that, there's higher instances of domestic violence and, and so many more unintended pregnancies that are at risk. You know, they're not accessing contraception and women need to just band together and, and really support each other right now. As an entrepreneur, speaking to several people who are thinking of starting their own companies or investing in early stage businesses, what advice would you give around personal reflection and personal growth? My advice would be to don't lose your sense of humor and don't take yourself so seriously. Um, I think that's my male or female founders. But I really think that to remember that, you know, this is a very intense journey to be an entrepreneur and particularly to be an entrepreneur and raise kids at the same time and particularly be a female entrepreneur. But I do think that if you have fun while you do it and you don't take yourself too seriously, you will fuck up. I mean, everyone does and manage that balance of driving a vision forward while also being able to make fun of yourself and have some fun while doing it and have fun with your team and have fun with family that 
it's a lot easier to be on the journey than if you're you're just taking everything in on your own and and taking things extremely seriously. At the end of the day, it's just business. I think that's the first time someone has shared that advice with me. Usually it's I'm sure you agree with all of this. Revisit your goals and journal and you know oh, that's so boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it because that makes the journey worthwhile. And if you have one life to live, you want this journey to be enjoyable and, and meaningful, not just purely business driven. Well, Kate, thank you for sharing your incredible journey, the story of Maven Clinic. It sounds like you're seeing explosive growth during the pandemic and outside of that. So excited to follow your journey in the years to come. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me.